Good morning. Can you hear me okay? We're good. All right. So my name is Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm one of five elders here at Church of the Apostles. Uh, JP is away today, this uh, this weekend. Uh, he and Joanna went away for the weekend. They had an anniversary, and it was a wonderful opportunity for them to celebrate each other and, and rest a little bit. So it gave me an opportunity, and I'm humbled to be able to speak to you this day a message from the Lord. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be giving a message with an emphasis on hope, an emphasis on hope. All of humanity has a hope in something, right? The gospel has always been and will always be that answer. In our despair, a king has come and given us this hope. He's given us this opportunity, this trust that he's made all things right. Let me go ahead and open us in prayer and then we'll begin. Abba, Father, O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, I consider all the worlds thy hands hath made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. How great thou art, how great thou art. Father, my words this morning may be, may they be received and contemplated and reflected in ways that convict us all. In glory, may it glorify you. If there is any confusion, any confusion is mine alone, and I own it. And if any glory can be had, it is yours alone that you would own. Please guard my tongue, my nerves, our hearts, and my short time we have here together. Some months ago, maybe going on to a year now, a year or so ago, I had a friend of mine who was going to a hospital, going to Northside Hospital, and he had some uh, a surgical procedure that was going to take most of the day, and he needed some help along the way, so I was his escort. And so while I was there, I thought I'd use that as an opportunity to take care up and catch up on some of the study that I was kind of late, I was late on, and I was preparing for another message. And so I was looking for a quiet place in the hospital to be able to do some Bible reading and spread my computer out and my notes out and, and put some thoughts together on paper. If you've ever spent any time in a hospital, you realize that finding a quiet place can be a challenge. It's almost, almost like with an airport, right? No matter where you are, you're underneath a speaker somewhere. Right? And it is, it's the same as in the hospital. And what I came to find in this particular hospital is that the chapel, the chapel was quite empty. I notice this as I've traveled around hospitals around the country. The chapels are often quite empty, so it's a great place to spread out and pray and think on such things. So I spread out. I went into the chapel, and I knew I had a little bit of time, and I made a makeshift desk in there, and I started clicking away and reading away on what I was preparing. And within about 40 minutes or so, a security guard walked into the chapel, and he had, he had asked me what I was doing there, and I said, well, I'm... He went on to say, he didn't finish his sentence, he went on to say that this is really a house where people come to meditate and, and to pray and to think. And, and I held up my Bible and I showed him that I was doing and he seemed to be satisfied that I was doing work that was worthy of the chapel. And, uh, and he left. About 40 minutes later, maybe a little bit longer, the security guard came back in and he proudly announced that he went to church too. And I thought that was good. And he said, and I have a Bible. And I said, that's wonderful. 
And then he paused. He paused and he looked at me and I knew right then and there that this fellow wanted to have a conversation. So I stopped what I was doing. I closed my Bible and I shut my laptop and closed my notebook and and I listened. And I listened and I listened and I listened. This man had been troubled in many areas of his life. He had, his, because of his own abilities, he kept leaning into himself to solve his problems. And his problems kept getting more and more complicated each time he leaned into, leaned into himself. He ended up having marital issues, relationship issues, serious financial issues, serious drug addiction issues. And no matter how he tried to lean into himself, his problems seemed to get worse, not better. And so then he would try to lean into other of his friends and family, and it seems that his problems still didn't go away. And I listened. And I thought this was a wonderful opportunity to remind this fellow of who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ. And I shared the gospel with him. Now, he already knew all of this, but he just needed to be a reminder. He needed to be a reminder that we are not our own, that God is our creator, and we are but his creation. On our own, we can never do it on our own. We will always disappoint but take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. And, I, and I, when I finished with that, we prayed. And next thing I know, this giant of a man, and I'm a large man, and he had me wrapped up all around him kind of thing, and he was crying, and I was crying. It was a powerful, powerful moment. That wasn't me that was talking. That was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit that had touched this man's heart. And it had me thinking as I was reading this scripture today, how we are all oftentimes in this situation ourselves where we put hope in ourselves and we find a a way of digging ourselves into a deeper and deeper hole. We oftentimes forget, as many of us do, that our circumstances, what they are and who we are, and we worry and we misplace our hope. We are but his creation. And so where then, if we are his creation, God's creation, where are we placing our hope Much of the Old Testament scriptures, if you spend any time in the Old Testament, they refer to the coming Messiah. And and, and what we see when we we read through these scriptures, we come to see that the... And and also come to see it through the gospel as well. The exact number of scriptural references on the coming Messiah, number 400, depending on how you pay attention or how how it leans. But there's a few of them that are more obvious than others, right? Here's an example of one, Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be, born, will be with child and, and will give birth to a son and will, and will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. Or likewise, in Isaiah 9, 6, for, us, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. Then the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then finally, in the book of Micah, because I could go on. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah? For you shall come forth for me, who shall come forth for me, the one who is to be the ruler in, in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. And on the other side of that, we see in Isaiah 53, what is to become of this suffering servant? 
we see that the truth in these verses most always clearly works out on the cross. The Savior comes, and it works its way out on the cross. For the Christian, the, the this Messiah is prophesied, as prophesied in the, in the Hebrew Bible, or we think of this as the, our Old Testament. Jesus was sent by God to save humanity from sin and death. Jesus alone is our hope. The hope of all nations is that the Messiah will bring about a better world, free from suffering and strife. The term Messiah means the anointed one. In the Jewish tradition, the Messiah is a savior figure, and he will restore the nation of Israel under the new era of peace and prosperity. This is what the Jews were looking for, someone who would make all things right and restore what should be true and right and just. This morning, as we look at this scripture, I'd like to consider three different things. What do we put our hope in? And it's too often ourselves. Why do we fail when we hope outside of Jesus? And what we discover is that the world will always let us down. And then what then do we do about that? Which is ultimately to put our hope in Jesus and not ourselves. So what is hope? If you were to look it up, it would come with words. It would be it would be paired very similar to this: to to, ter- to cherish a desire with anticipation. To cherish a desire with anticipation. It's not complicated. Often, the desire of looking for joy or security or identity, some sense of confidence. It's a simple thing, but it's a desire overall. We have this desire because we all know in our hearts that something is wrong. We lost, and what is wrong is this is something we have lost by sin a long, long time ago. And there is now in each and every one of us a hole. You might have heard this before phrase, the God-shaped hole that's in all of our hearts. We can't fill it, yet we desperately want to. We need this hope in all people to see it be seen around us, and that we're constantly searching, right? You see how this plays out in many areas of our lives. Some people, you know, um, well, you can see how it plays out in many areas of our lives. It plays out spiritually where people are looking for a, a spiritual experience that might fill that hole. You see it playing out in, in sometimes the way we take care of ourselves and the way we eat or don't eat or how we take care of ourselves and exercise. We see it, how it plays out in the way we think about money. We see how this plays out in how we think about relationships or conquest of some sort. I could go on, but all of this, see, these are endless pursuits. These are all dead ends where we're searching for something that can only be found at the cross. It could only be found in Jesus Christ. And you never really get there. And why is that? Well, it's because it's something we lost a long time ago. And so we hope. In this bit of scripture we just got done reading, we see that Caesar Augustus was placing hope. If you know something about the time when Caesar Augustus, the Roman era, Caesar Augustus had a challenge. And that is, one of them is, no matter who you were as a Caesar or any leader, you just spent a lot of your time and your, a lot of your energy trying to make sure that you could stay the leader. And one of the ways of doing that is to having great control over people. right? So they spent a great deal of time persecuting and punishing and intimidating and at all ranks, whether you were inside Roman society or outside Roman society, no matter who you were, you were always looking over your shoulder. One of the things the Romans did regularly is they spent a lot of time going around 
doing conquests, right? They were taking over, they were warring with others, and every time they would have some sense of conquest, they'd, they'd take the land, they'd take the land spoils, and they'd confiscate to replenish their coffers. And the reason they had to replenish their coffers is because it's expensive to field an army. And if you have been paying attention to your taxes at all, you see how much our own army costs for us to put it around the world. Well, when it comes to this time in Rome, they would, that problem was no different then. An army to run, a man an army and keep an army fed and going, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of energy to go. And so Caesar was calling on a census. This was a one-time thing that was happening, and, and, and the wheels were turning at this point. This is a one-time event where Caesar was trying to get an account of everybody that was in the land that he could send a bill to, right? He needed to get taxes. He needed money for his coffers. And so well, it's not what the Scripture will tell us, that, they, that he called this census, and many times we think of this as a one-time event, and it probably was a one-time event at this time. Up until then, there were different provinces that taxed their people, but not something on such a grand scale. And so it gets the wheels in motion where we see Joseph and Mary now going off to be counted. They had to leave their home and find someplace else to stay for the evening. Joseph and Mary, what did they hope in? Well, let's think about this for a moment. They just, Mary had a son. So what does every young mother worry about when she is pregnant? Well, she's worried about a healthy child. She's worried about her own health. She's worried about her safety. She has some, you know, strange thoughts. You can imagine like every young mother because this is a first-time experience for her as it would be for any young mother, a first-time experience. And that would be the same for Joseph as well. They were new at this game and they're not really sure how this plays out, but the one thing they were sure of, they had almost no control, but they loved each other and they had a hope. And they had a hope for safety and security. They had a hope for good health prosperity, no doubt. But they were had a hope ultimately for a savior. But even then, if you think about Mary's condition at the time, there's a lot of uncertain questions there that she had to have had. It, this first child didn't come the normal way most childs come. And so she knew through an encounter with an angel that there was something special growing inside of her. But I'm sure she still had questions. She was looking for something that was going to be safe and right and true. Well, let's consider the shepherds here for a minute. They're living out in the fields, right, as shepherds do. The life of a shepherd was hard. You think about that, it's basically you're camping all the time. You're never not camping. You don't get to go in for the night, turn the lights out, and they call it a night. You're never not outside. You're always camping. You're always sleeping on the ground or near the ground. It is a very uncomfortable and often... And, uh, uh, well, it's a very uncomfortable experience. Many people back then, they would look down on shepherds because they had an odor about them. There was a way about them that was peculiar. But I dare say if any one of us would spend years in a field by ourselves camping, we might come across that way as well. But it was an important part of the, of the state's economy. But it was a tough time for the shepherds as it was for all the people that were ruled under a Roman society back then. Right? Nothing was right. Taxes were unfair. The way, the way goods and resources were distributed were unfair. Life was hard. And when they paid attention to the Old Testament scriptures, they were told, and they saw the same bit of scripture that we saw, which is there's something to be hope in. There's something to be hope in. There's over 400 references of something to hope in that they would lean into and saying, one day we will have a king that will make 
things right. What do we put our hope in? When you get up in the morning, where do your thoughts effortlessly go when you hope? When things are quiet and they're still, where do you go when you hope? What gives you your greatest sense of joy, your greatest sense of security? And why do we hope when when we step outside of that? Why do we fail? In verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Think about this. In our hope, our sin nature often, more often, puts us right smack dab in the middle of our own hope. That's just the way it is. When Paul talks about us living, and we have a mind, right, and a spirit, but we also have a skin, a fleshy experience that is always drawing us towards sin. We ought to be careful when we, in our sin nature when we pray, because when we pray, we often easily use Jesus as our help card to help us out of our given our circumstance. We not only ask Jesus for help, but there's nothing wrong with that, but then we go on to say we tell him how he can help. That's the error, right? We can say, help me by giving me this much money so I can go on this particular trip. Help me with this relationship, and this is how you can help me change her mind, Right? You see, these are things that we do, and in this case, these help requests are very self-centered. We so easily miss our putting our faith in Jesus, but rather we put the faith in what Jesus can do for us. It's a, it's a natural thing. It's a natural inclination. It's a misplaced hope. It, and said another way, we go wrong by using Jesus as the means to the thing that we are hoping in, rather than the one who is our hope, rather than the one who is our hope. In our trouble, sometimes we, we wonder, why does it take God so long to answer our prayers? Why is it taking him so long to help me? It's a reasonable prayer. And maybe it, and I don't have the answer to that. I, can't, I don't know the mind of God, but I can say this. I've been around long enough to know that sometimes I get in the way. Maybe you do too. Sometimes I'm so specific in my requests that I forget that he has a bigger picture in mind, that he has another plan for me or other people in my life that he wants me to go through so that they can go through together. You never really know how these things play out in the immediate, but you can sure see them in the rearview mirror, how they play out. Surely I would like to be able to solve my own problem. I want to have victory over my my own weaknesses. I want my weakness of my flesh that leads me down these pathways that ultimately lead me to places I never intended. How did I get here? You ever asked your question, asked that question yourself? The best of intentions and all of a sudden you're looking and you're in this spot and you go, how did I get here? In my sin, I don't want to feel I need to be mastered. There is a, a poet... Ernest Ernest Henland, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, is a book that he goes on to say, I'm captain of my faith and I'm the master of my soul. Right? We have this attitude, all of us. We all got a bit of Frank Sinatra in us. I can do it my way. Or Clint Eastwood, right? He's always the one that gets his way in the end. In the end, it's just folly. It's just silly. You want to make God laugh? You ever how to make God laugh? You tell him what you're going to do tomorrow. None of us really know how that's going to play out, but he does. 
How many plans have you made where you were certain it was all going to sort out just fine and then your airplane flight was canceled? Or you got in a car wreck? Or you had a health disorder? Or you get a phone call from someone? Or that deal didn't come together? Or, 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 there's a thousand ors that are in this. As you get a little bit older and as you start going through these experiences over and over again, you start realizing that you have less and less control than you think. And thank God for God. Because he is in control. One day we wake up and then we have eyes to see. It's easy enough to see that sometimes God lets us struggle. Sometimes he gives us enough friction in our life just for us to be able to stop and blink and take account. Until we finally say in our own despair, Jesus, help me as you would. I can't do it, but you can. Forgive me my pride. Oh, forgive me my pride. Scripture reminds us that we ought better die to ourselves and place our hope where it is designed in Jesus. And when we let go and Jesus doesn't, we can hope in that. Of course, then, when we do this, we can no longer take credit for our own victories and our own successes. The credit is his and his alone. We can't boast in what I have done in my resolve and my determination I can take credit for none of it and praise God for that. All I can do is boast in him, praise him, and all that he has done for me. Jesus did what we could never do for ourselves. As in Romans 6, we are to recognize that our old old sin was put to death. And if our old sin was put to death, then why do we keep living with this sin hanging over our neck? Why are we so pressed on doing it my way? Why do I want to do what I want to do? And that's just the flesh talking overall. My spirit is alive and it's alive and it's, and it's as is yours, redeemed by Christ. We should not hope on ourselves. We should not hope on earthly expectations, not hope on our jobs. Nothing wrong with a job, not hope on our money. Who doesn't want money or need money, right? Not hope on our relationships. Every one of those paths are a dead end. They're all good and they're true and they're right and they're a gift from God. But if your hope is only there or in anything that's human, you will come to an end where you're going to ask yourself, how did I get here? We ought to place hope where the hope belongs instead, rather, and that's in Jesus. If you notice, uh, JP said something a few, was it a couple of months ago, when he had a message on the Trinity you know, the Trinity, and it's so so closely linked to the gospel, you could hardly separate them, but we often don't do that. We tend to find a way to compartmentalize that a little bit. The Trinity being the God, always God. He's never not been God. God is the Father. He's always been the Father. He's never not been the Father. The Son has always been the Son. He's never not been the Son. The Father and the Son are eternal. They've always been. And the Helper has always been our Helper. We are invited into this love. There's nothing we can do. It's something they did, something they had, something God had, that Jesus had, that the Spirit has, that we are invited into. Yet we somehow still get to the point where we think there's something we need to do to help the process along a little bit. That's a miss. It's a big miss. Why do we do that? And as as believers, we are invited into this. I read recently a poem, or a, actually a, a, 
I guess you'd think of this as a poem by R.G. Lee. And I would ask you to just lean in a little bit. And if this is something that grabbed me recently, and maybe it'll touch you as well. R.G. Lee says it, the late R.G. Lee says it this way. Christ, who is, who is in eternity, rested motherless upon the Father's bosom, and in time rested fatherless upon a woman's bosom, clasping the ancient of days and had become the infant of days. What deep descent from the heights of glory to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, from exaltation to humiliation, from the throne to the tree, from dignity to to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from the coronation to the curse, from the glory place to the gory place. That's the gospel. This is this Jesus that came for you and for me. He didn't have to, but he did. God didn't need us, but we sure need him. So why do we want to take credit? God God comes himself to save us from ourselves. In verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. May we hope, as in Jeremiah 17, that blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. And may we we be blessed, as Paul says in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's a reoccurring theme in Scripture. Once you have eyes to see, you see it everywhere. It's peppered throughout. And so for those he calls his own, for those he would come to know Jesus, Jesus is your light in the darkness. He is a hope. He is a faith put to life. He is not from us, but for his very own. And none of it is earned, but all of it is freely given. Jesus is a balm to a hurting world. He is restoring life. He is your joy. He is your answer beyond all of your prayers. Jesus makes all things new, Emmanuel. He is our only hope, and he is a love beyond compare. Jesus makes all things new. Yes, all of humanity has a hope in something. And God, the gospel has always been and it will always be that hope. That place that we should rest in our answer. In our despair, a king, a savior. Has come to make all things right. Our hope. So where are you placing your hope in him? Today, is it in him or is it in him? As Steve Brown would say, if you've ever heard Steve Brown, you think about that. Amen. All right. We're going to, in a minute here, this is the time where we go to the Lord's Supper, but let me go ahead and open with a prayer here first. Father, we hope... We hope in you, and please forgive us when we forget that. 
This Christmas season, we are reminded a king, a savior has come to make all things right. May we properly be imagers of Jesus. May we reflect your light on a darkened, darkened world. May we be available to the point to where our hope and our joy is found. Our reason for this season, our hope, this Jesus. Amen. So this 